Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers nearly a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. The new year is here, which means it's time to start new habits and make those yearly resolutions. Mine this year was to get healthier and improve my quality of life, which is why I want to talk to you guys about Noom. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all and don't take into account each person's individual needs, which in turn doesn't really set you up for success. Those workout plans you pull from the internet don't think about your individual dietary restrictions, medical issues, or other personal needs. Noom does all of that before building a tailor-made plan that works for you and your lifestyle. It doesn't try to restrict what you eat and never shames you for wanting to treat yourself. And unlike before, I feel the motivation I need to succeed and none of the frustration that came with other plans. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy wherever books are sold. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. The holidays are a time for joy, loved ones, and celebrations. It's not a time one usually associates with family annihilation. On December 30th, 2000, a family was brutally slain in a case that remains a mystery today. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, Sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. By all accounts, the Mayazawa family was a typical one. The patriarch, Mikio, worked for a London-based marketing firm, Interbrand, and though the type of work he did was not entirely clear, the company itself was one that was well-known and prestigious. A place of business that, when the employees were later interviewed, described the 44-year-old co-worker as a congenial man who got along with everyone and didn't seem to ruffle any feathers. His wife, Yasuko Miyazawa, was a 41-year-old mother of two who worked as a teacher, was described as kind and compassionate, and spent most of her time with the couple's 8-year-old Nina and 6-year-old Ray. While Nina was thriving, doing well in the second grade, playing soccer and doing ballet, Ray was struggling with his speech enough that the family, worried, was beginning to look into some professional help. Though the matter did seem to stress the couple out, it was a relatively small issue on a long list of positives. Settling into their Setagaya home in 1990, 
an area that was developing at a rapid rate, the Miyazawa family lived in a home that was split into a duplex in order to hold multiple families, which worked out wonderfully and allowed Yasuko's family to move in right next door. On December 30th, 2000, the Miyazawa family, like many around the world, began preparations for the upcoming New Year's Eve holiday, a time for change and new beginnings. For those living in Japan, this day is known as Amisoka and is widely regarded as one of the most important days of the year. There are traditions and customs to follow, loved ones to see, and joy to be celebrated. Unfortunately, Amisoka in the year 2000 would forever be known as a holiday marred by tragedy and bloodshed. On the night of December 30th, Mikio, Yasuko, Nina, and Rei were all slaughtered in what appeared to be a home invasion gone wrong inside of their Setageya Tokyo home. Found the following morning by Yasuko's mother, Haruko, each of the family members had been brutally killed by an unknown assailant, who, by the looks of things, stayed in the home for several hours before disappearing into the night, one that would remain unknown for over two decades. Placed in charge of the investigation, Takeshi Tushida, the chief of the Sijo police station, learned that the killer likely came through an open window of the second-floor bathroom near the back of the house, one that was adjacent to the Soshigeya Park. Using a tree to get to the high window, the assailant removed the screen and, using his bare hands, strangled young Ray to death while he lay asleep in his bedroom. Makio, hearing something upstairs, rushed up to Ray's room and began fighting with the intruder before being stabbed in the head with a sashimi knife. With part of the blade breaking off inside of his head, the intruder then attacked Yasuko and Nina with the broken blade before taking a Santoku knife from the home to finish his job. Doing all of this shortly after his arrival at 11.30 p.m., the killer then remained inside the Miyazawa home for between 2 to 10 hours, using the family computer, drinking four bottles of barley tea, eating four ice creams from the freezer, and using the restroom, where he left behind his feces and failed to flush. He also treated whatever injuries he obtained during the struggle and took a nap on the sofa in the second floor living room. Ransacking the drawers and papers and stealing just some of the money inside of the home, the unknown individual left behind a knife, a muffler, a hip bag, sweater, jacket, hat, gloves, shoes, and two handkerchiefs. According to Haruko, when her calls to her daughter failed to go through, the killer had unplugged the phone line, she grew worried and started ringing their doorbell. When that didn't work either, she entered the home and found the slaughtered family. Given the access to the computer and the paperwork thrown around the room, investigators started to believe that whoever the assailant was, he likely entered the home looking for either money or some sort of documents, possibly in connection to Mikio's work with Interbrand. Though his colleagues said that this was unlikely, claiming he was not working on anything particularly sensitive or controversial, police continued to wonder if the supposedly congenial man had somehow made an enemy along the way. As they worked the case, members of the community worried that this break-in would be the first of many 
and signaled the breakdown of Japan's low-crime society. Using what was left at the scene, police started learning what little they could about their suspect, like what he ate before coming to the Miyazawa home, that the sashimi knife and clothing left behind were purchased in the Kanagawa prefecture, and that there were trace amounts of sand inside that discarded hip bag that, when analyzed, came back with hits from the Nevada desert, more specifically, an area of Edwards Air Force Base in California. Tracking down 12 of the people who purchased one of the 130 units of sweaters left behind at the scene, police also found some DNA and fingerprints that they were able to run through their database. When no matches came up, they determined that the killer was likely someone without a criminal record. Theorizing that he was around 170 centimeters tall, thin but physically fit, right-handed and between the ages of 15 to 35 years old, they were able to go a little deeper and find that the killer, with type A blood, was mixed-raced and likely had a mother of European descent and a father of East Asian descent. Claiming the results ruled out the possibility of the killer being Japanese, they sought the help of the International Criminal Police Organization in what would turn out to be one of the biggest investigations in Japanese history. With over 246,000 investigators and more than 12,500 pieces of evidence, the case, though the years passed, was never not an active investigation. Despite all this work, however, the killer remains unidentified. Which means that, of course, there are a number of theories floating around. The first was that the crime was financially motivated, a theory that has largely been discredited since the killer walked away with only 150,000 yen, around $1,500, a small amount that many believe wasn't worth the deaths of an entire family. This theory is also made less believable by the amount of time the killer remained in the home, as well as the fact that he left behind about 190,000 yen, as well as some foreign currency inside the home. Another possible theory is that the family was killed over some sort of grudge. With both Yasuko and Nina being stabbed in the face, many wondered if there was some sort of hatred towards women in general, or these two specifically. Though this theory has its doubters as well. One of the most popular theories points to the duplex's proximity to the Soshigeya Park. There were some online claims that Mikio, prior to the murders, got into some sort of argument with some skaters who frequented the park and used the benches as a ramp. Though the shoes left behind at the scene were not ones typically worn by skaters, some wonder if the fight was enough to make the Miyazawa family a target to this group of young people. There is another theory claiming the killer was a Korean citizen, with a more sensational tale by a journalist claiming that the family was involved in the Korean Unification Church and... Since they would not sell their land, they were killed by some sort of assassin. But at the end of the day, all of this is nothing more than a guess, since none have panned out in any sort of meaningful way. Despite the massive amount of media coverage and the case being used as an example as to why the statute of limitations should be abolished, which it was in 2010, the murder of Mikio, Yasuko, Nina, and Rei Miyazawa remains unsolved to this day. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to A Terrible Thing Happened on December 31st. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it.
If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.